I want to start today by asking you a question, and that is, have you ever received a set of instructions that were really unclear? A set of instructions that were just really unclear. Maybe you have a grill, and you're trying to put that new grill together, and you're looking at that little photo pamphlet that they give you, and, and you realize, I can't really tell the difference between bolt H and bolt K, and I don't know, I can't zoom in like I can on my iPad or my iPhone to see what I'm really looking at. And you're in that moment realizing, see, what would really be helpful is if bolt H had a green tip on it. So so could somewhere in manufacturing, they not just put a green little, you know, daub of paint on the end of that so I would know what what I'm looking at. And you have a set of instructions, you have something that you're trying to do, but it's just a little bit confusing. Or how about this one? You're needing physical directions. You actually need some kind of assistance to get to a certain place, and you ask someone for instructions, and they start using the words like, after two miles, turn east. And somewhere with the word east, you just check out because you realize I'm more of a left or right kind of guy. You know, you need to tell me turn right at Walmart, not turn east at Walmart, because for whatever reason, I I just check out. It's just unclear because that's just not the way that my mind or your mind might work. I'm sure that there are a number of things that could come to your mind when you think about that. When you have something that you're desiring to do, but the instructions that you were given just don't really clear it up for you. They don't make it easy to know what to do. And in fact, that's the goal of today's message is to look at the instructions God has given us. We're at week four of this sermon series called Life on Purpose. And we're seeking to ask ourselves that question, why do I exist? What does God have in store for me? In fact, why am I here? And today we're going to seek to understand what is the mission that God has for me? What is the specific reason that he has me here? And now, there are going to be different nuances to those callings. In fact, my calling may be different than yours, and your calling may be different than mine. But at a base level, God has made it abundantly clear why we are here. And in fact, in his word today, I'm hoping and praying that through the time that we get to spend together, that you'll see maybe some of you for the very first time just God, why is it that I'm here? What is the mission that you have for me? Because in God's word, he decided and he desires for us to no longer have to guess at all. Why is it that you and I exist? Why is there blood still pumping through our veins? Why do we exist as the church? And so our hope and our goal in our time together is just to dig into that and seek to gain some clarity and to not be confused, but seek to gain some clarity about the instructions he has given us and the role that we play and the part that we play in fulfilling his mission. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day of life. I thank you for each and every person who's here. I'm grateful for an opportunity to worship, to sing to you, to bring you praise. And I pray now that in our time together that you would encourage us, that you would remind us that you are for us, and that you have an incredible plan for our life. I pray that you would show us what it means to be on mission for you and to be the men and women that you've called us to be. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Acts chapter 13 is the text that we're going to be looking at today. So if you have a Bible, you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 13. Those words are going to be up here on the screen for you. If you have that app that Pastor David was talking about, you can follow along with the sermon notes as well. But Acts chapter 13 is our text. And in Acts chapter 13, you're going to see Saul and Barnabas very intentionally going. They are going. They are on mission. They have not allowed their faith to just sit still, but it's been activated, and they're now on mission. They're living their life on mission. They're sharing the message of Jesus. And in fact, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear that. That is precisely why you are here. You are here because God wants you to point other people 
to what it means to have a life-giving relationship with him. That's why we exist as the church, because there are people out there in our community, people in our world, people in our homes, people in our neighbor, neighborhoods that need to be reminded that Jesus loves them and that Jesus has an incredible plan for their life. He did not create them for insignificance, but he created them for, to, to live a very full and rich and abundant life, and he has called us to be on the front lines of going to do that. And so in this text today, you're going to see a, a kind of a clear picture of how Barnabas and Saul go about doing that, but also you're going to see some things that hopefully will encourage you and, and will remind you of the role that you play and ultimately what God desires to do. So let's start in verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. So see, Barnabas and Saul were set apart, and they received this commission to go. And it says here that the Holy Spirit set them apart, and that this happened in a moment of worship and prayer and then fasting. And it's a key point for us to realize that God speaks most loudly when we're most in tune with him. God speaks so loudly to us and desires to speak loudly to us, sometimes we just don't hear it because we're not in tune with him. I, I sometimes hear people say this. They will say, Pastor Jason, I really want to know what God's will is for my life. I really want to know more about who God has made me to be. And sometimes my follow-up question to them is, well, how is your time with him going? You know, how is your individual quiet time? How is your prayer life? And sometimes the answer that I will get is non-existent. And, you know, I have to dig deep to find a really nice, gracious answer to say, maybe there's a better plan. Because what makes you think running from God is going to help you understand what he's desiring to do in and through you. See, this is what happened here is Barnabas and Saul, they're spending time, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're in prayer, and God's plan and God's commission for them is made known. And God desires to do the same thing with you and I. There's also an interesting point in here that, that I don't want you to, to miss, and you see it there on the screen and you see it on the app, is that when you go, you do not go alone. When you go, you do not go alone. So who is going with you in this journey? The Holy Spirit is with you. God is working in and through you. For far too long, we fail to realize that when God asks us to go, he's not asking us to go in our own power. He's not asking us to be on mission, to live a life of mission in our own power or with our own skills. No, the Holy Spirit is there with us. The Great Commission reminds us of this. You may be familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. It's some of the last recorded words that Jesus had with his disciples. And this is what he says in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And look at this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We sometimes forget that part of the Great Commission, that God is there with us always. 
to the very end of the age. Now, from a big picture perspective, this hopefully encourages us. And it reminds us that when we compel and when we're, when we're compelled into action, that I'm not entering into conversations, I'm not entering into relationships, I'm not entering into gospel conversations about Jesus, that God is not right there in the midst of working long before I ever show up. In fact, he's working in the midst of ways that I can't even begin to imagine. And hopefully, that will drastically impact the way that I seek to live on mission. In fact, I believe that should propel me to serve with more confidence. It should certainly propel me to serve with more humility, to know that God is at work even when I cannot see it. And he is working in a situation before I show up. It's kind of like if you're on a road trip, isn't there something comforting to know that there's somebody in the car who knows where you're going? Somebody who has already been there. Somebody that's not, that's not having to look at the directions like I'm looking at them. Somebody that knows this is exactly where you turn, this is exactly where you go. And this is what God's trying to remind us. You don't go anywhere that I haven't gone already. And I'm working and I'm preparing the way for you. And I'm doing things that you may not even understand but trust that I'm going to work and I'm going to continue to propel you onto mission and do something um, in your midst that you wouldn't even believe if I could explain it to you. And so let's keep going, and you'll see that uh, played out here in verse 6. So they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Pallas. And the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Remember that verse. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. They could totally make this into a movie. I mean, this is just such a great scene from a movie. You have this proconsul who is a, an authority figure, and he says, I want to hear about the message that you, Barnabas, and Saul are proclaiming. I want to hear about that. And so on their way to proclaim that message, there's this guy named Elymas who is a sorcerer, and he stops and stands in the way and says, no, you don't need to listen to them. You want to hear them, but you don't need to listen to them. He's trying to stop the mission. And Barnabas and Saul say, Elymas, you better move out of the way. You better move out of the way or blindness is going to come up on you. Does he move out of the way? No. And so what happens? Blindness comes up on him. And the proconsul sees this and says, hmm, these are my words, not God's words. Hmm, there must be something to this message. Because they saw this guy standing in the way. They said, please move out of the way or blindness is going to come. He doesn't move out of the way. He's blind. I think I'm going to pay attention to what... Saul and Barnabas have to say. See, God can and will use everything. God can and will use everything to remind you of who he is. In fact, you see it there in your notes, but God uses everything to show others who he is. Does God use your words to show others who he is? Absolutely. Does God use your actions to show others who he is? You betcha. Does God use the challenges in your life to remind others of his faithfulness? 
Absolutely. Does God use some of the darkest seasons of your life and you're walking in faith through those to remind other people that they can walk through faith in their darkest seasons? Absolutely. Does God use very adverse circumstances to remind people that he is in control? Absolutely. It is all under his control. It is all under his disposal. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. So therefore, he can and will use everything to point people to him. It's the way God works. Praise God he works that way. Because if I were to hear each of your individual stories, I'm sure that I would hear many different stories about God used that in my life, God used that in your life, God used that in her life. God uses everything to show others who he is. And in fact, he asks you to take your story into the lives of other people. And he will use that story to point other people to that life-giving relationship with him. Look at verse 13. So from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So finally, Paul has had a name change here. He's no longer Saul. You know, thank goodness for three weeks, I've been using Saul and Paul very interchangeably. And so now I can officially just go with Paul. Okay, so Paul has had a name change, and he and his companions arrive in Pisidian Antioch. And did you notice where they landed? Where did they go to first? The first place they went to was the synagogue. They went to the synagogue. This might be new news for you about Paul, but Paul was a Jewish leader. He was a Jewish religious elite leader. I mean, he would have known the Old Testament almost better than anyone. And as a result of that, Paul steps into the synagogue. It's the place that he was the most comfortable. In fact, Paul was not going to be intimidated at all by the synagogue. This would have felt like home. You know, a synagogue would have felt like a place of homecoming for Paul. And the same can be said about you. See, each of you has a wiring. Each of you has a skill set. Each of you has an experience. Each of you has some interest. Each of you have a background. Each of you have a story. Each of you have an occupation, a season of life. Whatever the case it might be, I would encourage you to follow the example of Paul. Start from wherever you are right now. What was most comfortable to Paul was to go to the synagogue. So he went into a new town, and where did he find? His sites were always set on the synagogue because that is what he knew. In fact, you see it here in the notes, but when you go, start with what you know. When you go, start with what you know. When you seek to be on mission for Jesus, start with what you know. I think when it comes to being on mission, sometimes we overthink it. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. In fact, I think a lot of life we tend to overcomplicate, but that's another story for another day. We tend to overthink things, and, and, and sometimes what will happen in our life is we analyze things so much that we become paralyzed in that, and we end up not doing anything, and we're waiting for just the right time and just the right conversation, and by the time just the right time and the just the right conversation surfaces, whoever we want to talk to has moved out of town three weeks ago. And we've just mustered up the courage to send them a text or whatever the case might be. Whereas when we go, our goal should be to just start with what we know. I believe that the greatest connection points, the greatest conversation starters, the greatest ways to build bridges with other people is to start with what you have in common. If you like sports, start with sports. If you like cars, start with cars. If you like to run, bless you. Find other people that like to run. 
You know, if you like to play video games, find other people that like to play video games. If you're a parent with middle schoolers, find other parents with middle schoolers, things that you have in common. And those moments of those, those intersections that you have in common are sometimes going to be the quickest ways to build bridges with other people. So don't try to become somebody that you're not, but start squarely in the midst of who you are and say, God, I trust that you will use that and use that to help me to connect with other people and ultimately to point other people to you. I want you to take a look at the screens for a minute and hear a story from Don and Cynthia Stores. Don and Cynthia Stores are incredible, and they go here to our Nolansville campus. And for those of you that do not know Don and Cynthia, they spent the majority of their adult ministry of uh, 25-plus years uh, serving as missionaries uh, in a couple countries in Europe. And so I want you to hear a little bit about their story and about how they fleshed this out. And I know that you'll be encouraged uh, by uh, way, the way that they just simply started with what they knew. Take a look. Well, we are Don and Cynthia Stores, and uh, we're here in Nolensville, and we attend a local campus here. I think really in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a movement, you know, the Jesus Freak movement, but that was how we came to the Lord. And then eventually hearing about Europe, right. we felt like the, those people are just like us. They Correct. think they know God, but they, they really only know a shadow. I know Christ is needed throughout the world, but that's probably the most unreached continent, as prolific as it may be. We initially went to the French-speaking side of Belgium. We were the only people of faith in our community, and we were a faith that was generally persecuted by the, the majority faith that was there. It's really wonderful to try to mesh with those in the, in the community mm -hmm. and their activities. And I was very fortunate. I had not played a trombone since my high school days, and yet I brought it with me. Why, I have no idea why, until my son's saxophone teacher saw a trombone sitting up in my uh, house, and he said, who's trombone? He said, daddy's. And so he asked me if I wanted to play in a, a, Tommy, a Tom, Tommy, uh, Tom, Tommy Dorsey, Tommy big, Dorsey band. big band song. Big band. I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I did it, I did it for three years. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, through that, I had an opportunity to uh, get to know these men and a few ladies in the program. And it was really a great opportunity and I had a chance to share our faith with them. I think about Paul and he used what he had as a bridge to the community. He was a trained teacher. He knew the Jewish law really well. So he ended up going first to the synagogues, you know, go with what you have. Um, I ended up doing a lot of teaching because I was a teacher, um, English as a second language. So just that idea of what is it you have in your hand? People ever thinking, well, I could never do that. Anything that is needed here in any occupation is needed overseas. And there's always a place that people can serve. We need to recognize our the potential relationships with people in our community. And when we moved here to our, our home areas nearby, uh, we made it a point to try to meet the, uh, those in our, our surrounding community. And uh, that's all it is. We, st we may start off small, but we're looking forward to de developing and enhancing that relationships. I love what they said. Use what's in your hand. What's in your hand? right now because see whatever's in your hand is what God can use often as followers of Christ if you're a follower of Christ today I think that it's really easy for us to buy into this lie that I have to become someone else 
for God to really use me. I have to become someone else for God to really work in and through me, when in reality, God wants to use you right now. Sometimes we think, well, you know, God really wants to use the pastors. He really doesn't want to use me. I'm sure he will use people who are a lot holier, and yet he does not ever desire to use me. Listen, see, what God wants to do is he wants to use you right now where you are. You may say, I'm an auto mechanic. How is God going to use that? Well, he's going to use it in a couple of ways. One, you're probably going to have other mechanics that you work with, and you have all of their families. Okay, then you have these supply distributors who come and they give, the, you know, they, they sell products to you. And so you have all of those distributors and all of their families. And then you have all of these customers, right? So then customers come in. Are people coming to the mechanic because they're just having a great day? No. They're coming because something has gone wrong. And so you not only have those customers, then you have all of their families. And you're sitting there thinking, well, how can God use me as a mechanic? What you don't realize is that you've been plugging away for 15 years wondering how God could use you. But in the course of a week, you probably come in contact with more non-believers than most pastors do over the course of a month. And all of a sudden you realize what I should have been doing was using what God had placed in my hands and not something else. When you go, start with what you know. Now, what do I share with others? See, this is where it gets really good. What do I share with others? In verses 15 through 31, you're going to see a paraphrase. In verse, or I'm going to paraphrase for you in verses 15 through 31. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And God chose the people of Israel as ancestors, and he made them prosper during slavery in Egypt, and he led them out, and he gave them judges, and they asked for a king, and they got a king, and one of those kings was named David. And through David, who was an Israelite, the Messiah was promised, and Jesus came. And what happened? David, or uh, Paul says to those in the synagogue, you in the synagogue, keep in mind, are, are Jews. He said, you didn't recognize him. You condemned him to fulfill what was already prophesied. You placed him on a cross and he died. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. And you called his disciples to go. And from the beginning, everything has pointed to Jesus, which serves as this great reminder that all of history is truly his story. All of history is truly his story. Everything that has happened from the beginning until now is his story. And look at verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. Their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, and today I have become your father. See, there's good news, and that good news is the gospel. And God promised that to your ancestors, and he fulfilled it. And we are to share that with people. That everything that has happened in the world, everything that has happened in your individual world, is Jesus' story. From the day you were born until now, he has been in the midst of every aspect of your story. It's been about your need for a Savior and him desiring to be that. He's in the midst of it all. And see, that's what we are to go tell people when we share. We are to go tell people Jesus loves you. We are to go tell people that Jesus is for you. We are to go tell people that Jesus has an incredible plan for your life. Look at this incredible plan in verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. See, you weren't able in your own power. You weren't able under the law of Moses to accomplish what Jesus desires to do. 
In fact, you see it there in your notes that through Christ, we receive what we could never earn. Through Christ, we receive what we could never earn. Because again, he's talking to the Jews. And he says, the law of Moses, you, you tried to keep all of this. And many of the hearers thought they had to act a certain way, that they had to do a certain thing. But yet the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And you are set free. And you are justified. And you are made right. And there's nothing that you can do to deserve that. There's nothing you can do to earn that. So stop trying. Some of you right now, this is one of the biggest struggles that you have faced and continue to face in your life. You do not believe that you're worthy of God's love. And I cannot come up with the persuasive enough words to let you know that. But yet I want you to hear this. These aren't my words, but these are the words of God. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin and you are made right. For many of us, we have been held back for years with these really heavy pieces of luggage that we are carrying, and it's time to just drop it. And it's time to say, you know what? I can't do anything to make myself right. And I'm so quick to be reminded of all of my flaws. And, and, and I know that there's almost 8 billion people in the world, but there's got to be at least one person that God is, that's not worthy of God's love, and that has to be me. See, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. And that's what was holding many of these people in the first century um, captive. And Jesus is saying, no, I came to set you free. In fact, this is going to be one of the hardest truths for you to fathom. This is going to be one of the hardest truths for you to help other people understand. When you engage in conversations with other people, just prepare your heart for this because this is going to be something that comes up. If you're wondering, how can I best be prepared when I go? Just know that at some point in a conversation with someone, someone is going to look at you and they're going to say something that's going to lead you to believe and lead you to know that they don't believe that God loves them and that Jesus has a plan for them. Why is this so incredibly difficult for us to understand? I think it's incredibly difficult for us to understand because when's the last time that you got a, something that you didn't pay for? Right? I mean, is anything in life really free? Let's just, let's just think about it. You know, Publix has these buy one, get one free sales all the time. See, those people are smart. They're not just giving away spaghetti sauce. Somebody in a, in a uh, corner office, uh, you know, is, is tabulating all this up, and they have figured this out for you. Yesterday, I went to buy fireworks, me and all of Nolansville. And I stopped at every tent between here and uh, Nashville, it seems like, uh, just in search of sparklers. Um, and uh, I came up on these Roman candles, and it was, you know, and they were, I mean, it was like, I'm like, this, this is a business model. I mean, they were just setting out one thing, people come by, grab it. And they're like, one more thing. They have these Roman candles, buy one, get one free. Great, it was $9.98. And I almost looked at the young man working and said, I'm smart enough to know that these are $5 a piece. But, you know, I bought one for $9.98, and he threw in another one for free. And I thought, no, nothing's ever really free except this. Nothing's ever really free. However, this is. It's mind-blowing. It's life-changing. And this is the mission that we seek to be on. And this is the words that we seek to share. Now, will everybody accept that message? Will everybody be as excited as the pro-council was to hear what you are bringing to them? No, they will not. 
So what do I respond, or how do I respond to that? Because see, it's the fears and it's those apprehensions that sometimes hold me back. How am I supposed to respond? Look at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. And then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Now we turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see this here on the screen, but our mission is to go and share the good news with those who have not heard. Only God can change a heart. Our mission is to go and to share good news with those who have not heard. Only God can change a heart. I sometimes feel so much pressure for something that God never intended me to feel pressure about. And chances are you do as well. You feel so much pressure about changing someone, whereas God has never told us in his word that we should be held responsible for changing someone. Why should we never be held responsible for changing someone? Because we can't. God's not going to hold you accountable to something that you can't do. He's the only one that does the changing. He's the one that paid the ultimate sacrifice. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you could have life. He doesn't hold you accountable to that. What does he hold you accountable to, though? He holds you accountable to sharing, that we are to take the words and that we are to proclaim the message and that we are to allow the Holy Spirit to work through it. And ultimately what happened here is many of the first century hearers, they rejected that message. They stirred up dissension. They weren't really interested in hearing it. And I don't ever want to be a pastor or a friend that would tell you, when you go proclaim this message, 100% of people are going to be so excited to see you coming or so excited to hear about what Jesus says about this situation. And friends, that's just not the truth. But just because somebody doesn't accept the truth doesn't mean that we shouldn't share the truth. Just because you're maybe link one of a chain that's going to take six to seven times for someone to consistently share the message doesn't mean that you stop. It means that you continue sharing with grace and you continue to allow love to be what compels you and mercy to be um, on the forefront of your mind. And ultimately in verse 51, as we close, it says that Paul and Barnabas, the first century hearers who didn't listen and who didn't kind of believe they shook the dust off of their feet and they went to another town. And this is a really nice way of saying they moved on. Now, should I move on after one try? No. I'm not saying, you know, please share your faith one time with somebody. And if they don't accept it, then just write them off. That's not at all what he's saying here. In essence, what Paul is saying in this text, though, is he is saying, it is really not your job to change anyone. You do the sharing, you be faithful. And allow me to work. And ultimately, in verse 52, it says that the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. See, this type of living on mission, this isn't something that's arduous. This isn't something that should be painful. This isn't something that should be, you know, just, oh, I've got to find a way to share with one person this year because the pastor is going to get really mad at me. No, that's not at all. What this, this should be joy because what do I love to talk about? I love to talk about the things that bring me the most joy. 
I love to share with you the things that lead me to the point of greatest enjoyment and fulfillment. When it comes to Jesus, can that be said about us? Can that be said about you? Can that be said about me? Because see, God made these instructions abundantly clear. He said, I I don't want you to ever doubt why you are here. Because why you are here is to point people to a life-giving relationship with me. I want to take the guesswork out of it. It's not going to be easy, but I want you to go. And I want you to share. I want you to be on mission. And I ultimately want you to leave the changing up to me. You go do what I've asked you to do, which is to share, to pray, to point people back to me, to remind them that Jesus loves and that God has an incredible plan for their life. He did not create them for insignificance, but he created them for full, rich, abundant life. Why don't we go out these doors today and share that? Find ways to share that in every conversation that we come in contact with and pray that God will do what only he can do in the midst of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence. I'm grateful for who you are. I thank you for all of your blessings. I thank you, Lord, that um, you ask us to be um, on the front lines of serving you. You ask us to, um, to serve, to share, to give, to love. And I pray that we would find ways to do that today. Maybe in this time of response today, we would understand for the first time that you love us and that your mercy and your grace is sufficient for us. And as a result of that, we would be compelled to go share it with others this very day. We're grateful, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for meeting us here in this place. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things.